Alfred Kenzie on Fraudulent Social Science as a Basis for Social Change by Michael Wagner. Taken from the May 2001 issue of Reformed Perspective. www.reformedperspective.ca One of the biggest changes in the culture of Western countries during the 20th century was the decline in sexual morality. Throughout the early part of the century, there was a general consensus that sexual activity should only take place within the confines of marriage. This view began to erode by the middle of the century, and by the end of the century this view was publicly mocked. Indeed, during the 1960s and into the 1970s, we are said to have experienced a sexual revolution where traditional morality was discarded. People were no longer repressed by a restrictive moral code. Fornication, adultery, pornography, etc., were no longer universally condemned, and in many cases they were celebrated. Among the strongest advocates for rejecting traditional morality were certain social scientists. The term social science refers to the various academic disciplines that study human society and social relationships, such as sociology, psychology, political science, anthropology, etc. The 20th century had witnessed the growth of these academic disciplines, and it was expected that they would enable mankind to improve human institutions and society in the same way the physical sciences had improved mankind's standard of living, better hygiene, better medical care, etc., Thus, social scientists were viewed as having expertise that could help governments and other bodies undertake policies based on scientific studies and knowledge. One of the most influential social scientists of this period, and perhaps of all time, was Alfred C. Kinsey of Indiana University. He was the first North American social scientist to undertake a large-scale study of human sexual behavior. His studies resulted in two landmark books, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, 1948, and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female, 1953. These books were accepted as authoritative and accurate, and have had a widespread effect in academia, politics, and law. Indeed, they are still cited as authoritative today. There are two outstanding features of Kinsey's books that need to be understood. First, they provided the intellectual ammunition for the sexual revolution by supposedly demonstrating that traditional morality was hypocritical due to the widespread practice of illicit sexual activities such as fornication, homosexuality, etc., And second, Kinsey's data were deliberately deceptive and misleading because Kinsey wanted to use his social science to help overthrow traditional morality. In other words, his primary purpose was to promote a left-wing social agenda, and his academic work was his tool for implementing this agenda. There was little substantive criticism of Kinsey's studies until the early 1980s. It was at that time that Dr. Judith Reisman began to study Kinsey's work and to realize that something was wrong. From that point on, she has been investigating Kinsey and the institution that continues his legacy, the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction at Indiana University. She has issued updates of her research from time to time, and the latest and most comprehensive update so far is her book, Kinsey, Crimes and Consequences, published by the Institute for Media Education in 1998. It is important to recognize that Kinsey's work has had an enormous influence on law, politics, education, and culture generally. Although many Reformed Christians have likely never heard of Kinsey, he was extremely well known in the 1950s when his work was beginning to take effect. Indeed, Reisman quotes one commentator as saying that Kinsey was, quote, the most famous man in America, the world, for about a decade, unquote, page 267. Not bad for a social scientist. In a nutshell, Kinsey's studies claim to demonstrate that sexual immorality was rampant throughout the United States. He stated that fornication, adultery, and homosexuality, as well as some unmentionable activities, were very common and therefore traditional sexual mores were outdated. Furthermore, laws enforcing sexual morality, which were quite strict at the time, needed to be relaxed to conform to reality. 
One of Kinsey's least plausible claims, but one that was accepted uncritically, was that 95% of American males, remember this was the 1940s, had engaged in some form of illicit sexual activity at least one time in their life. The argument was then made that either the laws governing sexual morality had to be changed, or else 95% of the American male population would have to be legally punished, page 189. In sum, it was believed that Kinsey's studies provided the scientific evidence needed to overturn traditional sexual moral regulations both in the law and in the culture generally. Reisman has found considerable evidence of Kinsey's influence in changing American law. As she notes, quote, state legislators, judges, attorneys, and law professors widely accepted Kinsey's fraudulent studies as authoritative in a variety of circumstances, unquote, page 224. One area this influence can easily be seen is in court cases. Quote, there are numerous cases which have cited the Kinsey studies as authoritative on the state of sexual standards, sexual behavior, and mores in the United States. Unquote, page 224. He is also frequently cited in law journals, the academic periodicals of influence in the legal community. One study found that Kinsey was cited in 648 law journal articles between 1982 and 1997, making Kinsey by far the most cited sex scientist in the legal field, pages 205 to 206. As Riesland puts it, quote, gradual and wide acceptance of Kinsey's research and reports into the social, legislative, and legal fabric are seen through the many changes in law that proceeded from Kinsey's revolutionary findings and assumptions, unquote, page 224. In other words, Kinsey was a social scientist whose research had far-reaching and widespread consequences for the United States, and it should be noted, other Western countries including Canada. Kinsey sought to use his research to further an agenda of overturning traditional sexual morality. This agenda was more important to him than scientific accuracy. Thus, even by the standards of social science itself, Kinsey's research is flawed. Quote, a basic reading of Kinsey finds the author suppressing data, expunging data, creating data, changing data, misrepresenting data, unquote, page 128. Reisman spends considerable time in her book exposing in detail the fraudulent science conducted by Kinsey and his associates. It certainly appears that he deliberately wanted to mislead people with his research, quote, neither Kinsey nor any of his team can rightly be termed scientists. Their methodology was not scientific, for it was neither able to be replicated or validated, the two pronged requirements of any scientific endeavor. Their data were anonymous, forced, secretly altered at will, and fraudulent. With the aid of the elite academic world and institutions and the support of public funds and the social planning foundations, Kinsey and his associates, who served as his own private male harem, conducted thousands of sexual interviews to present a false picture of American sexual behaviors, unquote, page 71. It is likely, in fact, that Kinsey's research involved criminal activity itself. Kinsey's research presents data on young children's sexual activity. How could he have obtained such data? It would appear that Kinsey and or his associates were molesting children in order to obtain data for their research. Reisman includes an entire chapter, chapter 7, on this subject of Kinsey's sinister work. At a time when social science was being viewed as a guiding light for human social endeavors, Alfred Kinsey stepped forward with research that was said to give an accurate portrayal of human sexual behavior, but he was lying. He wasn't so concerned about discovering the truth about sexual behavior as he was about overturning traditional morality. Quote, the Kinsey data collected was always designed to be applied to change America's sex laws. Unquote. Page 205. In this regard, he was very successful. Indeed, despite the fact that Reisman has been exposing Kinsey for a number of years now, his research is still widely accepted in the academic community. Because Kinsey's research provides evidence for the left-wing worldview that dominates the North American academic community, it will be hard to uproot. 
Kinsey will continue to exert his influence, although he has been dead for many years. Kinsey's legacy also continues in the area of law due to the legal changes that were undertaken on the basis of his research. As Reisman puts it, quote, the nation's sex and marital laws were radically and covertly revamped based upon a well-crafted body of lies, unquote, page 236. Social science has consequences, and when social science is conducted by unscrupulous men like Kinsey, those consequences can be extremely harmful. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.